Hello, hello, and welcome to the Holistic Fitness Podcast, where you'll learn how to get your goals without burning out. I'm your host, Laurie, and this show isn't just about movement and nutrition. You probably already know that exercise and nutrition is important for your mental and physical health and well-being. It's also about stress management, mindset, shedding those limiting beliefs, and working through some of that childhood trauma while you're at it. Today, I'm joined by John Petrelli, who has been a professional fitness coach for over 30 years, having worked along some of the biggest names in the entertainment industry, from Grammy award-winning recording artists to A-list Hollywood actors. In 2021, John's life took an unexpected turn where he became paralyzed with Guillain-Barre syndrome. I'm so sorry if I pronounced that incorrectly, as it was the first time I'd heard of this. And it's a rare autoimmune disease that landed him in the ICU. With a lifestyle so heavily dependent on physical health and well-being, John really needed to rely on mental strength to overcome this disease. Throughout this life-changing event, the book Confessions of a Hollywood Trainer was born. Here, John's life is chronicled, sharing his experience and the tools that he's used to change his life, as well as the lives of countless others. Now, John Petrelli's experience was quite inspiring and quite hard to listen to at times, you know, going through such a physical lifestyle to all of a sudden being bedridden and having to find some other sense of purpose. That's no easy feat for anyone. So I'm very excited to share this conversation with you and hope it inspires some of you to really focus on what's important to you all and gives you some sort of inspiration to just help you drive you forward in life. How are you going today, John? Everything's good. How are you doing? I am good. I'm excited to be chatting to you from Austin, Texas, one of the places that are on, that's on my list. I love that. You're welcome to come and stop in. I'll show you around when you get out here. I love that. I am very excited. And something I'm specifically excited to chat to you about is like, you've been a fitness coach for over 30 years. Like that's a huge amount of time to be in the fitness industry. Um, You know, a lot of fitness coaches do it for a short amount of time or move into some sort of different modality, but sticking to that for such a long amount of time, I'm really excited to dive into your brain, learn a lot about you. But I do feel like whenever anyone gets into some sort of like healing modality, whether it be nutrition, fitness, like something more esoteric and spiritual, there's generally a backstory. So can you share the context that I would need to know to know why you help people in the way you do today? Oh, wow. That's a great question. So in a short answer, right, I found out that it was healing me. By helping people, I changed my life. And at the point where I started, I started, I'm not 21 anymore. I started training people at 21. I just turned 51. So at that point in my life, I lacked direction. I needed a different social group. I needed to change my environment. And it was all about me, me, me at that time where my life, my mindset, if something didn't go right, was blaming other people or not taking responsibility for my actions. And when I got into training people, I fell into my passion. I fell into when I saw someone change their life The more I put over on that side, the more I got in return, whether it was helping someone to get ready for a wedding or they wanted to just feel better or walk or whatever it was, my soul started healing. I came from a dark place before that Um, Mm. and my soul started healing and I was on this journey with people and I just felt honored to be part, a small slice of their healing process, of their journey and um I was just lucky. I was lucky to find that at 21. Wow. That's insane that you found it so young and that you were able to help people. And, you know, there's a few things you said I'd love to dive into, but the years before 21, you know, you mentioned you were kind of hanging out with the wrong crowd and had to change your environment. Like you were arrested, right? Before you, you got on this journey. Yeah. So I had... And I I never want to put blame on anybody else because the wrong group, there were people that hang out with the wrong group that didn't make the choices I made, right? There were people Mm -hmm. that may have external influences that were strong enough, had enough self-confidence in themselves to not do things. So that I was too weak of a person at that point to not cave to peer pressure and everything. And I definitely don't want to put any blame on my father, but my relationship with my dad, he only had the tools he had at the time he had. And no one gives you a book on how to be a mother, a father, a teacher, all those things. 
So my dad didn't have a great relationship with his dad. My dad is a little crazy, but he was born in 1921 and he didn't get married until he was 48, his first marriage. And he served in World War II, Korea and Vietnam. So wow. the military raised my father. And so he did, his book playbook was to raise me as a soldier. And affection at that time and that generation from a man may not have been the most acceptable thing. So I never heard like, I love you, or my dad never called me son until I was 21 years old and I was leaving. And so that miscommunication with my dad from the tools he had, he applied the best he could related to fear to me. I feared my father and that fear turned into violence. And when I would be fearful of something that happened as I grew into a teen, I would lash out in a violent way because that was just my flight or fright response. Mm. Also, if I saw something that I deemed at the time was someone being bullied because I felt like I was being bullied, I would lash out. Mm. So an incident that changed my life at 18 years old, there was an altercation. There's a whole bunch. I, I won't get into all the details if you don't want me to, but an altercation happened and I ended up striking an individual. I kicked him in the face in a spare at a moment's thought, he was going to attack someone. I didn't think at all. And that person literally almost died. He wow. hit his head on the concrete. His head got split open. I, I got arrested. Undercover cop had seen the whole thing. And I thought somebody was attacking me from behind. And before you know it, I have a handcuff on my hand. And I'm swinging at a cop that's oh. in undercover clothes. So in literally... Fractions of a second, my life went, I may have killed somebody, and now I'm attacking a police officer. Wow. And they don't take kindly to that. No. No. And so at 18 years old, it was the last day before all of my friends and I were going away to college. And it was a last get together. And here I am, I get arrested. I get put in the back of a vehicle. I watch this person be try to be revived by first the fire department then the ambulance, and I get whisked off into jail, and this person never regains consciousness. And here I am in that selfish moments thinking about myself, like, am I going to be in jail? I, I just ruined my whole life, never really even thinking, is this person okay? It was all about me. But if I didn't have that hard stop in my life, if I didn't have, that was my bottom. And if I didn't have that for me, doesn't mean you have to have a hard bottom like that, or you have to have this violent situation. It started changing my perspective. I had an wow. introspective. What am I doing? Where is my life going? Here I am supposed to be going off to college. And now I have to go to court. I have to hire an attorney. I hope this person lives. So that person ended up living by the grace of God. And I had to go to court. And there's this whole story about what happened. But I was blessed to not spend time in jail. Other than that night, I got an attorney. And in addition, uh, let's just put that the individuals I got in a fight with had been in a lot of altercations before they had been in and out of jail. And in, um, in return for testifying in another case, I got a reduced sentence and I got out of that. But at that moment, I made a decision to change my life. At that moment that happened like that, I go, I knew I had to do something. And so I wish I could tell you that that was the ultimate moment that did change my life, but it was a start. We have a, a term in Italian called testadura, means hard head. And I definitely have been accused of that. And I'm absolutely rightfully so. But that was the start of my changing. I started educating myself. I did the best I ever did ever in college, in, in scholastics. In high school, I was so bad. Um, that they literally passed me so they wouldn't have to see me again. I guarantee you some teachers did that. <laughs> I have dyslexia. I had some learning disabilities and it was challenging, but I put in the work and I said, I'm going to start changing my life. Mm. And within two years, I graduated from high school and I had to change my environment, my peer group, who I love greatly. And it's not their fault, but the, the dynamic of us being together led to the same thing over and over. And right. it was many violent acts, many fighting in the street and stupid stuff. And I literally had $300 in my pocket. I told my family I was leaving. I bought a plane ticket and I had a friend 
God bless his soul, that had moved to Southern California and said, I don't have any room for you, but you can sleep on my floor if you're willing to come here. And I packed my bags. And that was the first time my father had ever seen him be emotional with me. And he called me son and he, and he wished me well. And my mother, God bless her soul. She's so such a savior. My, my mother's the opposite. She's from Italy and she's giving and caring. And she, we wept and I changed my life. I got on that plane and I slept on a floor and uh, I worked to being a trainer. I studied, I took way before your time, way before your time, back in like 1994, there was only American Council on Exercise. And I took the test and I passed the test and I started like the Lord's light was shining down on me because I advertised, I pet, I paid people to pass out flyers and my phone was ringing. I had an answering machine back in the day. People may see this and not know what that is. It was <laughs> your voice now. And I was so young that I would disguise my voice because I didn't want them to think that I was 21 years old. And I would talk in a deeper voice. I thought it made me sound important. <laughs> and they were asking me questions about training. And I haven't even formulated answers. They're like, how much do you charge? And I'm like, how much do I charge? And where do you train? And it just started rolling in. And I got my first client. I charged a whopping $12 a session. Mm. And from that client, I helped that person. Uh, I can't, Man, that person's name was Zahia. I love her to death. She took a chance on me. And we lost like 60, 70 pounds. She oh, became my biggest billboard. And a next client came and the next client came. And I, I actually raised my rate to $15, if you can imagine. Wow. And it just kept steamrolling. And before you know it, within probably six to eight months, I was working 40 hours a week as a trainer. Wow. And have you ever heard anybody talk so much without taking a breath? I'm sorry, but I'm glad you could be part of that. So. No, I have goosebumps and I am so engaged and dialed into this discussion because it's so obvious that this was your calling. And I am so sorry that you had to reach rock bottom. And I love that you mentioned that not everyone has to reach rock bottom, but you know, it would have been so traumatic, even though, yes, it's it was your choice to act with violence, you know, it would have been so traumatic going through what you went through. And I know myself, like I did a similar thing when I was 20. I left New Zealand, I left Australia um, with a backpack and $500 and lived in a hostel. Wow. Um, so I did a very similar thing and it was because I needed to get out of my environment. Um, and I think that that's a really important thing to note from your story. And for anyone listening, like if you're just like hitting your head against a brick wall with trying to change a habit, sometimes like injecting some fresh air into your environment. You know, you probably, you don't have to move across the country or move out of your country, but finding some sort of different environment can sometimes be what you need to give yourself that kickstart into what you're meant to do, whether it's a new habit, new job, whatever it is. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more, right? That is definitely one way. You know, one thing I found, I was just talking to someone recently about this, and I've heard it kind of as a pattern before. We all, there's no perfect human being. There's no one that's perfect, right? So let's stop trying to be perfect, number one. And when I started owning up, and it was a process, but I started owning up to my past, there was a lot of shame tied to my past, and rightfully so. And I've asked for forgiveness, and I've tried to pay it forward. But when I started owning the fabric of who I am, I can't change the past. But I mm. feel like people's, what we may feel is our blemish, what we may feel is a thing that's shameful. If you look at it the right way, it becomes your superpower. It becomes the thread of who you are, the fabric of who you are. So because I was pushed to do all these things, sleep on floors, eat on a $15 budget per week, I know I can handle other things. I know that I can help people handle other things that can relate to that. If mm -hmm. I deny those things about me, I'm not being truthful to myself and I'm not being honest to someone that can then see me relate and go, man, this person was able to do that. It wasn't easy, but they were willing to put in the work and I can do that. And so you have to own what you are. You have to go, hey, I want to change things. I'm willing to put in the work, but this is who I am. It's part of the fabric. And it's my beauty. It can be your beauty of who you are. It's why songs are written that we relate to, right? We hear the pain in the song that's written. We go, oh, my God, 
and it brings us to that place. Mm, people relate to stories and vulnerability. People don't relate to a curated highlight reel and I, especially in fitness. And I found like a common thread with clients is like a huge part of not fitting into even the gym environment is bullying or some sense of feeling like they don't belong. So I think it's important as trainers or, you know, whatever your field you're in is to own all the parts of yourself, especially the bits that are a bit sticky and not nice. Yes, the bits. I love that. (laughs) Something else you mentioned a little bit earlier that I noticed is um, when you were speaking, before you went into your story, you said that you you can't blame the other people around you for the actions you took. That sounded like total accountability and not everyone has that. So can you dive in a little bit what accountability means for you specifically, but also when you're training clients? Oh, that's a great question. So, you know, there's an evolution, right? I'm here at 51 and I'm a different person than I was at 41 and 31 So if somebody's watching this and you're back in that 18, 21, 30, whatever, right? Give yourself some grace first off. Be patient with yourself and be as kind to yourself as you would be to somebody else. I feel like sometimes we are kinder to other people than we would be to ourselves. Even though I I hold myself to a high standard and I want things and I need to achieve things, I sometimes maybe not as kind to myself and people aren't. But accountability is everything. What kind of power do we get from blaming others? Mm-hmm. What do we get? What do you get from that? I, I haven't come across anything that I've gotten from putting it outside, right? This person has done that, or if they didn't do this, I'd have this, or, you know. So once I realized, yes, did I have challenges? Absolutely. Were there influences? Absolutely. Have other people been able to have those same things and still do something positive and still help other people and still? be able to give their gift to the world? Yes, right? So how am I going to sit here and be blaming other people and not being accountable? So mm. once I took that step, that leap to look at myself and go, okay, it's you, John Petrelli. It's you that needs to change this. If you want this, you can change this. If you're willing to work, you're willing to be able to do this, you can change this. So being accountable was absolutely the first page of changing the story of who I am, because I cannot be honest with myself and other people if I'm not being truthful to where I'm at. I'm mm. not being truthful to who I am if I'm not taking ownership. So once I started taking ownership, then you and I can have an honest conversation, right? And we make mistakes all the time. It happens. They're beautiful. If we look at them, some of the best things in my life, maybe your life have come from a mistake. And if we own those mistakes and go, you know what? Screwed up. Mm. I screwed up, but I'm going to learn from that. I'm going to take some tools in the future. I'm going to use those tools to help this person, this person, and this person because they made mistakes too and they can understand. Mm. Now with my client, go ahead, please. I was going to ask you about your clients. So let's let's go. (laughs) With my clients, right? Um, I think sometimes if we have that moment, we can be fearful in going, I'm I'm flawed. If I'm flawed, I don't get love. Whatever those connections are, people have to be accountable to themselves on every level. And some are harder than others, but to go, yes, I am flawed and that's okay. Yes, I did make this mistake and I'm okay. And sometimes, Lori, you had mentioned earlier um, that we have to surround ourselves with a peer group or we change our environment. Because Mm. I like to have people that hold me accountable. Mm. I'm okay with people being around me that agree with me, but I don't get a ton. If you only agree with me, (laughs) I don't want to hear what your position is. I understand that you may give me information that may change my point of view. I'm not so entrenched in what I believe to go. This is absolute. So please educate me, enlighten me. And together we can probably make something beautiful. So I hold my clients accountable and uh, we have honest conversations so they can therefore hold themselves accountable and have that truth with themselves. So Mm. just have conversations on like, okay, what's the truth here? Are you tired of constantly feeling burnt out while trying to achieve your goals? 
Do you find yourself struggling to maintain motivation and productivity over long periods of time? I'd like to introduce you to the Goal Getting Journal, the ultimate solution for those of you who want to surpass their goals without burning out. Our journal is designed to help you set achievable goals, track your progress, and maintain a healthy work-life balance. With our journal, you'll discover practical strategies for managing stress, staying motivated, and avoiding burnout, including time blocking, habit stacking, and so much more. You'll also learn how to prioritize your tasks and maximize your productivity so you can get more done in less time. The Goal-Getting Journal is perfect for anyone who wants to achieve their goals without sacrificing their mental health and well-being. Whether you're an entrepreneur, a student, or just someone who wants to make any positive change in your life, the Goal-Getting Journal can help you stay on track and avoid burnout. And for Holistic Fitness Podcast listeners, you can get 20% off your first journal using the code HF podcast. Go to goalgettingjournal.com and type HF podcast at checkout to get your discount. So what are you waiting for? Order the Goal Getting Journal today and start getting your goals without burning out. For sure. And I think having that that coach in and of itself is A, helping you change your environment because you've got someone in your corner that's going to cheer you on. But equally, you've got that person in your corner that's going to hold you accountable and hold you to a higher standard than maybe you can hold yourself on some days. Right. And in that, right, as, as coaches, right, we look at that and I see when I see people do that, especially for the first couple of times, I am inspired by their action. They may think they're inspired by me, but I'm inspired by them. Yes. I have some clients. Um, they are way stronger than I am. And I just like, that's that's not to say I'm not a hard worker, but I have some people that have just progressed at such an insane rate that they inspire me. I'm like, wow, you're amazing. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's so good. I am curious though, like I've been you know, my first job was actually a gymnast coach. So I've been coaching for a long time since I was 13 in some sort of way, but certainly like the full-time fitness coaching, that's been seven years for me. So I am curious, like a seven, a 30 year background mm-hmm. of fitness coaching. Can you, I don't even know how to ask you a question, but can you maybe just tell me the most impactful habits that anyone can do to be the fittest, healthier self? Like just impart your knowledge on me right now. <laughs> okay. So I don't know if this works for everyone, but I can tell you that this has worked for a large swath of my clientele, right? Which is very diverse. I train people up to 88, 89 years old. I have kids. I just got done seeing two 14 year old athletes. So one thing that I've learned is that you have it's hard to call upon something, whether that is knowledge you haven't used in forever or an action. Like if I had to hold my breath right now and I haven't practiced holding my breath at all, it's something I don't do at all. And I go underwater and I hold my breath. I might be able to get 20 seconds, 30 seconds, whatever that number is. But if I work at that on a daily basis, I become used to that. And things that have been uncomfortable now become comfortable. Mm. So I have made it a priority to put myself in a position where I'm always learning. Okay. I'm always trying to learn something every day. Could be the simplest thing from a client that inspired me by being brave and being accountable. It could be something I seek out or it just appears through, you know, interaction. But I always try to put myself in a place where I'm learning something that I might be a little uncomfortable in. I'm a little uncomfortable talking to you and exposing myself, but Mm -hmm. I try to hold myself to this thing where I'm going to do that. So the biggest thing I can do and tell people is every day, every single day, 99.9% of the time, for me, you can craft your own, steal some of the stuff I give you, and then add your own. But I start every day, number one, I don't look at any technology. I don't look at anything that's going to distract me. And I do Wim Hof breathing. Um, If you're not familiar with that, it's free on YouTube. And it's a type of breathing. And I kind of center myself. And I get back to where I am. And then I give up what is like my mantra for the day. Kind of my thankfulness that, hey, another day has started. Not every day is guaranteed. I woke up and I go over everything I'm grateful for. 
And I've created some different things that I particularly say that are very important to me and it centers me. So that's my first 15 minutes of every day. Before that, I drink water. I drink two glasses of water. I start my day off with some hydration. Then I do that. And then I do some type of physical activity. I find doing that first thing in the morning allows fewer distractions and things that will come into my life to take away my time for myself. So I do that first thing in the morning. I get up at 4 o'clock, 4.30, whatever it is to get it done ahead of time. And now I started hydration. I started meditation. I went ahead and did my accountabilities. I'm grateful. I tell everything I'm grateful for. And now I've done some type of physical activity. Six o'clock in the morning has not rolled around yet. And now I'm in a better place to be a servant to other people that need some of the talents I have, that need some of my essence, and I can help them. Mm. Uh, That puts me in the best position, whether you're a teacher, a doctor, a fireman, a police officer, whoever you are, a coach. We have to nourish ourselves to help a mother, a father right? We have to be there. So I say, give yourself some time, some grace, so you can then be the best when you have to serve and help others. I love that. It's like filling your cup so that you're not like pouring from an empty pitcher. You're like first thing, making yourself a priority. And I love how you explained like you're not getting any distractions because essentially the moment you pick up your phone, you're giving your energy and focus to others rather than giving it to yourself. So you're doing your most important habits, which is hydration, breath work, movement before moving into the day and serving others. I I love that. That's really great. Oh, thank you. I find it's important. Do you, do you do some of that? I do the breath work for sure. And I do the drinking water. I don't touch my phone for the first hour of my day. I've always not. I also have a rule, um, no phones in my bedroom. So I don't have it in my bedroom. I don't know. I think because I've been doing it for so long now, like I did Vipassana in India, which is like a 10 day silent meditation retreat. We did lots of pranayama, which is like the breath work in yoga. I did my yoga teacher training in India as well. And I feel like it sounds really weird. I can feel energy so easily now and I can just feel the energy of my phone in my room. I just can't do it. So yeah, I am pretty strict on that practice. I love it. I don't have the phone in our room either, right? I don't have that. That's great. I think that's a great tip to give people. Plus, if you don't get restful sleep, you're going to be starting with one foot down in the sand the next day, right? So we got to get some restful sleep. That's huge. For sure. That was going to be my question though. You wake up at four. Do you like go, how much sleep do you get? I'm sleeping right now. You're sleeping right now. (laughs) No, but I think I'm, I'm a typical, so women do need more sleep than men. I need between eight and nine hours sleep and I've got one of those whoops that track it. I get great sleep, but it's always telling me it's over eight hours, but I do know women on average do need more sleep than men. This is, this is averages, but I was just really curious. I'm like, how much sleep do you get? (laughs) So sometimes, you know, I have to, you know, I'm always working to have balance. I'm much more of a type A person. So sometimes I don't get enough sleep and my performance and my mental acuity and my communication suffers for that, right? And I can only go so many days with like five or six hours sleep and then I have to catch up. But I try to go to bed around nine o'clock and then I've been getting up so for so long for 30 years to train people in the morning. A lot of people want to train before they go to work, right? And I understand that. That I I wake up naturally at like, I don't even need an alarm clock. Sometimes I wake up at 3.45, 4 o'clock. Sometimes I try to get myself to go back to bed, but other times I'm just like, let's get it started. And I have a ton of energy. I think, you know, just my circadian rhythms and everything and my biological rhythms are kind of geared towards that. But don't call me at like 9.30 because I'm a... Yes. You have your downtime then. See, I'm the opposite to you. And I think that's important to note for people. I think a lot of people try to put themselves in the box of being that early bird, but Mm -hmm. I even got one of those 23andMe tests and it said my ideal wake up time is like 8am or something. And I... I've always like, especially when I was um, fitness training in person, would wake up super early, but never felt with it for that first like 5am until pretty much 7.30am is where I started to wake up. And if I don't do an alarm, I wake up somewhere between seven and eight, similar to you, loads of energy throughout the day, loads of energy, don't have the 3pm dip and stuff like that. But 
um, yeah, I really had to like honor the fact that my morning schedule is adjusted before I move into my day. Like, yes, I get my breath work in, um, but my physical movement could be in the morning or it could be at 3 p.m. It really depends because that sleep is more important. Sure. Yeah. And everyone's different. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm curious though about um, your book. So you mentioned, you know, you, you work out in the morning, um, you get all of it done and you'll serve people from like 88 mothers, fathers, but your book's name is Confessions of a Hollywood Trainer. It's an Amazon number one new release. Massive congrats. Amazing, so did you train you. celebrities? Like, or did you train people in Hollywood? Like, what what types of people did you train? Sure. So the book title is a little, it's not misleading because part of the book is about that. So I went from upstate New York, a small farm town of 2,000 people. I went to California. And then I ultimately went from Southern Cal, like San Diego, to Hollywood. There's a whole section in there, and I'll just touch on this briefly, but I had this thing. I've never stopped training for 30 years, but I also went in to Hollywood and became a trainer, and I trained celebrities. One of my great celebrities and friends ended up being, there's a guy you may not know. He's got a movie coming out this Friday with Robert De Niro called, his name is Sebastian Maniscalco. Um, uh, I trained different celebrities. So it was my interaction with people in that world, and is beautiful in the sense that I found that here's a common thread. We look at people, whether they're a sports figure or a singer or actor, and we're like, man, guess what? We're not, we're not different. We all have the same needs as human beings, right? We all need love. We need compassion. We may have different upbringings, but there's a lot of different, a lot of similar common threads. So I got to train a bunch of people in that industry and It was part of my journey. It was part of my growth. Some of them were nice. Some of them were not so nice. If you read the book, you'll find out that there were some that, man, I hope we were just having a bad day. I hope that person was just having a bad day or we had interaction. If you read it, you'll find out some of my, my gosh, I had some childhood heroes when I was growing up, when I was 12, 13. And I remember specifically this one guy was an action hero. And I paid my paper route money to go see him. And I put it, I went right back in the theater and I put another $5 down. I was so mesmerized. And so now I have all these interactions with him in Hollywood and I find out he's not such a nice person. And here you can hear like prepubescent John Petrelli's tears in the background as my, my Hollywood childhood hero. I was like, Oh my God, this is, and so we put people on a pedestal or not. We think they're different. They're not. People have good days, bad days. And so part of that in the book is my journeys with those people. So it's, but really the main gist of the book is my confession of my life. It's yes. called Confessions of a Hollywood Trainer. So I was a Hollywood trainer. I went on international tours. I worked with Grammy Award winning artists. I worked with actors. You can read all about it in the book, but it's my confession of like my journey, how I came from a small farm town. I found my passion and that passion was helping people. And it didn't matter if they were a school teacher or they were a movie star or they won an Academy Award. We have a common thread and it is how I went from that. And if I can do that, if I can do that from going to being arrested, to being violent, to having all these things and challenges, to getting D's as a school in school. And I was able to find my passion, put in the work that literally you can do anything. If I can do that, I am sure you have more talent than I do. You literally can do anything. If you want to be an attorney, you can be an attorney. If you want to be the best mom in the world, you can be the best mom in the world. There is nothing that is out of reach. There are other people that have done it before, studied the clues they have left. And if this dyslexic, uh, violent youth can find it and do it, you can do it. Mm, and that really comes back to your point earlier where like if you're struggling to to kind of see it there's someone else that's done it even if you come from a family where no one's finished high school and you want to be an attorney there's other people who have done exactly what you want to do and was in like a worse situation than you you just need to go out and seek those stories and seek that environment like it's not to say it's not without challenges but you can get there it's just to say like somebody's who's 400 pounds. Yeah. You've got more challenge 
losing right. weight or getting to 150 pounds and someone who's 200 pounds. Like it's just a lot more pounds to lose, but it doesn't mean that you can't get there. That's so true. You can get there. And you know, sometimes our loved ones may do this and I'm not everybody and they may not even know about it. There's comfort in the crowd. There's comfort in having people around you that mimic, that show up the same things that you have either physically, mentally. So sometimes people will want you to think you can't do it mm. because it's their comfort. It's something in them, right? Why try that? You might fail. And you know what you have to do? You have to have compassion for those people because one day, hopefully they'll figure it out. But you have to find the people that are going to believe in you. They're going to help you when you fall down and you get scraped because you're going to get scraped and you're going to fall down, but are going to help you get back up and show you the other side of this. Yes. And so if you're in an environment where people are telling you you can't do this, you have to create a new environment mm. and you have to surround yourself with people that are going to inspire you. You're so right. And the people that are saying that you can't, they're not even intentionally doing it. it. That's a reflection of their state. Like if you want to be a millionaire and you are raised by parents that, um, you know, a good middle-class living, they can't fathom that. So they think you're dreaming big. They think you're being crazy. It doesn't mean that you can't do it. And I love the way that you speak about your dad, how you're like, he was using the tools to the best of his ability to raise me. Like, I don't blame him for anything. He was doing his best. And I don't think many people wake up and say, I'm going to do a really shit job at living today. I'm going to make everyone's day miserable. Most people don't wake up like that. Everyone's doing the best they can to their ability. Right. That's so true. And that's where they are in their point in their journey. You know, yeah. if somebody came across me at my point of a journey when I was a young man, they'd go, that guy is an asshole, right? Yeah. That guy's a jerk. And I just hadn't evolved yet, right? And so I, I, I apologize for that point in my life, but I try to be a new person. And I got one for you too off of what you said. Sometimes people go, I've grown up with this amount of wealth, whether it's middle class and I want to be a millionaire and people un even knowing in subconscious go, why would you want to do that? All people with money are evil, you know? Yes. Yes. <laughs> so they've related a horrible trait that's tied to now wealth, right? Yeah. But you don't have to be a horrible person. If you have wealth, you can help people. It just gives you the ability to help more people, right? Yes. So we can make these connections and they're rooted in a subconscious way that may not be serving us, right? Mm, yeah, I love that you extended on that. It's so true because there's even like um, large beliefs like, oh, what's that? Um, one of those cooks, like skinny people don't eat well or skinny people. There's a lot of like negative things towards either side of the spectrum when it comes mm -hmm. to body size and in the fitness industry as well. That's just crazy. It's like you, you're keeping people in a box here. <laughs> right. Skinny people can't cook. That's what it is. Skinny oh, is people that it? can't cook. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's in America, but it's this, I, it might be a guy, he's he's big on barbecuing. I can't remember his name, but he, he's always bashing down skinny people because they can't cook. They can't cook good food. <laughs> that's funny. I'm not, see, I just learned something. That's fantastic. That's <laughs> yeah, fantastic. that's just a limiting belief. I'm really curious though about the common thread. So you mentioned that from school teacher to celebrity, we've all got a common thread. What are right. some of the common threads that you've noticed? Sure. We all have a bad day, right? Yeah. We all have a bad day. It can happen. So I got to travel with some people. I'm not going to put their name out there. It's in the book. And they are very recognizable. And I told them, I said, unfortunately, it's not great for you to have a bad day when you, you got to have it in private. I told them, this is just my opinion. Because when yeah. someone comes up to you, they've been watching you for life. They might idolize you. They just want to shake your hand. They just want to say hello. For you as a celebrity, it may be this one-off that you don't remember, but you can be so impactful for someone as they say, could you take a picture of my kid? Can you do that? And so I told them, I go, there's a certain amount of responsibility you now have to when you're in front of someone like that to make sure that you do everything so they have a great interaction. But guess where the common thread is? As parents sometimes, as adults sometimes, we have a bad day. It's easy to come in the house and kick the dog. It's easy to come in and bring all that with you, whatever's going on. And sometimes, you know what? We got to let that go. We got to go this person that I'm in touch with now that is, has nothing to do with why I'm having a bad day. They are on a different, this totally unconnected, and I'm going to treat them as that is. And I'm going to help change that experience so they have a good time. So they have a great interaction. 
Hey, Holistic Fitness fam, a quick message from one of our sponsors, Ned. As you all know, I recommend good nutrition, movement, and stress management practices before supplementing so you know what type of supplementation that your body actually needs. For me, I supplement with very few products, but Ned is one of them. I'm a type A, high energy, ambitious business girly with massive goals. And sometimes I honestly just need to chill out and relax a bit. I've found that both Ned's de-stress and sleep blends fit in with my busy lifestyle and ambitious goals, but I was honestly not a big fan of CBD products before trying Ned, mostly because of the culture surrounding weed. I just didn't want something that was going to alter my state of mind so that I became much less of a goal-getter or less ambitious. That was until I learned about full-spectrum hemp and their benefits. Ned blends a chock full of premium CBD and a full spectrum hemp of active cannabinoids. Ned's full spectrum hemp oil nourishes the body's endocannabinoid system to, uh, to offer functional support for stress, sleep, inflammation, and balance. These products are science-backed, nature-based solutions that offer an alternative to prescription and over-the-counter drugs. All of Ned's products are... All of Ned's full-spectrum hemp oil is extracted from USDA-certified organic hemp plants grown by an independent farmer named Jonathan in Colorado. I'm obviously a big fan, but don't take just my word for it. Ned CBD products have over 2,000 five-star reviews, and they work with incredible partners in the medical field like Dr. Caroline Leaf, Dr. Christian Gonzalez, and Dr. Will Cole. Ned is providing Holistic Fitness podcast listeners a very special discount. If you'd like to give Ned a try, listeners get 15% off Ned products with the code Lori Lee, L-O-R-I-L-E-E. Thanks, Ned, for sponsoring the show and offering a natural remedy to bring balance to so many people's well-being. We all want love. We all want to be loved, right? Um, and if someone is at lashing out in a negative way, I find that, you know, there's some pain involved in that where somebody hurt them. So how do I find this thread? We may be different politically. We may be different gender wise. We may be different, all these things, but how do I find a common thread of humanity that we can agree on? Mm-hmm. And how do I go ahead and listen to what they're having to say? And maybe what they're saying can impact my life and give me a new perspective, right? Take a time, take a breath and go, where's the humanity in this? Where's Mm. the compassion in this? So I found that, you know, that we all have good days. We all have bad days. We all want to be loved. We all want to make some type of improvement in our life. Um, We're all just human. We're all just human beings. The full breadth of human experience, yeah, and connections, one of them. I tell you what, I just had like this reflection as you were speaking, John. When you were talking about the celebrity, I'm thinking, oh, that's why it's really important for celebrities to go on retreats and to have introspection time. Like if I was a celebrity, you know, and, you know, this podcast does really well and all of a sudden I'm Andrew Huberman, like, oh, I would just need to go on more retreats or like this is what celebrities should be doing. But then when you related it to the family situation, it comes back to filling your own cup first and giving yourself that space because I'm like, okay, in normal everyday life, you can lash out on your partner or you can give yourself the space to be able to be kind, be compassionate or state your truth because, something, you know, relationships and family life isn't always sunshine and roses. And, and it was just really interesting like how I could easily – state what the celebrity needed to do like in my mind when you were speaking but then I'm like oh wow no we all need to give ourselves some sort of space not just the celebrity it's just in a different scale right you know what you just had me had a realization I've never said this before and it may come out wrong but boy sometimes when youth or kids lash out what do we give them give them a time out yeah Sometimes as adults, we need a time. We need time out for ourselves. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. And, and I wonder like where that comes from as well, like needing a time out. And it's funny because when you said, 
what do kids get? And I'm thinking reprimanded or the wooden spoon, but I'm like, oh, they probably can't do that anymore. Time out. Yes, correct. Um, <laughs> I got the wooden spoon a lot as a kid. Uh, yeah. It's a different, uh, different era. What is the time out? It's a breath. Just take a breath. Yeah, relax. take a breath. Yeah. That's so good. It's giving ourselves a time out sometimes and um that's something I've learned the hard way in relationships a little bit off topic but I'm very communicative and um I know with um <laughs> one of my exes when we'd have an argument they just needed a time out and to cool off and I was that girlfriend that was like let's talk about it let's talk about our feelings I can't go to sleep on an argument and I'm like really should have given them I, you live and learn probably should have given him more space <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about it right now Yes, I need to, let's, let's go to the childhood trauma, dissect it all, understand the things. Uh, but speaking of like um, continuously learning, continuously growing and continuously evolving in your fitness journey, recently you did have a little bit of a, a speed bump in your fitness journey, right? Yeah, yeah Can you absolutely. speak to that a little bit and like how you navigated that? Yeah, so it's crazy. But in 2021, I was almost fully paralyzed. I came down with a thing called GBS or Guillain-Barre syndrome. Um, to kind of give you this progress and how I'm always learning, right? If you think you're out there and it's a problem to make a mistake, trust me. If you think anything I said is useful, this is a guy that still makes mistakes, right? I'm still learning. So I'm working long hours uh, and it's hard in the sense it's challenging because I love what I do. So it's easy to go 12, 13 hours and, and go, I can do this, but I'm working long hours. My family got COVID. My kids did first. It was a speed bump on the radar. My, my wife got it. And then I finally got it. I also teach jujitsu. And so I was oh. interacting with a lot of people. And so I, you had to quarantine for a certain amount of days, right? Just, you couldn't be around people. So now I'm in my house, I'm not that bad, but I'm doing the assault bike for like 30 minutes. I'm going bananas. My wife wants to kill me because I can't stop moving. Well, I ran <laughs> myself into the ground and I don't know if there's a direct connection, but they say there could be. Uh, so I had COVID way worse than I should have. Everybody else got over it. And then I got a, a bacterial infection from um, jujitsu. I had somebody's toenail cut my leg and I got a bacterial infection. So it could Ew. have been too. A little nasty, right? Yeah. So I, here I am. I'm getting over COVID. I, I back to work. I get a bacterial infection. I go, they give me some antibiotics, excuse me. And I'm working long hours. And I suddenly can't start feeling my feet. And like my feet start going numb. And I don't tell anybody. Um, I don't tell my wife, I don't tell anybody, I'm going to work, everything. This goes on for three, four, five days. My feet start now hurting so bad that in the middle of the night, I'm getting up at like two o'clock in the morning, I'm taking ice baths to relieve the pain. And I don't tell her what's going on. Then before you know it, my hands start going numb. So I break down, you know, we can learn a lot. Guys can learn a lot from women. Women have this thing. I think believe like women's intuition comes from somewhere, right? The word they have intuition. They're more sensitive from what I've learned in my life experiences to emotions they are more in tune with what's going on. And me, I'm like a robot walking forward. And my wife is like, what's going on? So I break down and tell her, I go, look, for the last week, I haven't been able to feel my feet. I can't feel my hands. I don't know what's going on. My vision is starting to get blurry and my urine stream has come down to nothing. She's like, what are you talking about? I go, listen, I understand when I get out of work today, I'm going to we'll go to the to urgent care. And now she's like, how many people do you have? I go, I got 12 people. She's like, we're going to urgent care now. <laughs> so we go to urgent care and I'm in urgent care. and We're explaining what's going on. They, they do some um, tests on me. And I think in the urgent care, I go unconscious. That's crazy so, how you were going for like a week and then you faint as soon as you get to urgent care. Sorry to stop, but that was just, no. that's just so weird. Weird, right? And so um, in urgent care, they start doing a bunch of tests and looking at my symptoms. They go, look, we don't want to scare you, but we think you might have this thing either. We, you could have an autoimmune disorder, which could be MS, or you could have Guillain-Barre syndrome. We don't have the ability to test here. We're going to send you down the street, right down the street to this big hospital, and they need to do a spinal tap. We recommend you get a spinal tap. They pull fluid out of your spine. Wow. So as I'm 
we pack up, we leave there. My wife's taking me. My energizer battery is just like being drained. Like I'm having trouble shaking people's hands. I'm having trouble now feeling from my knees to my feet. It's ascending up my legs. We get in there, they start doing some, some basic tests. My reflexes are going. Like you tap my knee, my knee leg doesn't move anymore. So the doctor, they take a spinal tap, they put a needle in my spine, they take the spinal fluid out, and they go, it's going to be a little bit before this test comes back. We're going to, you can go home, but if any of these symptoms come, start increasing, if the numbness comes from your knee, starts going up your leg, you have to come back in immediately. Mm-hmm. Or you can wait here in the hospital and for an hour till this test comes back. So we go home, I live down the street. 20 minutes later, now I can't feel the top of my leg down my my knees. I'm having trouble walking. I'm having trouble moving my limbs. We go back to the hospital. We're like, absolutely, this is happening. The tests come back. I come back. I either have MS or Guillain-Barre syndrome. Now, you have a person whose life is defined by their physicality for 30 years. I'm the guy that rides the assault bike for a half an hour when I have COVID. I'm... it's in my book, but I've been airdropped in British Columbia, Canada with no equipment and survived for 14 days, running a marathon a day for 14 days. It's crazy, right? So this is my mentality. So I'm in there. And the next thing you know, within 24 hours, I can literally only move my eyeballs. Everything is it's eating away. I come back, I have Guillain-Barre syndrome, and that eats away at the myelin of your nerves. So you're just... Your nerve endings control your muscles, your neurological system, and I'm just getting weaker and weaker. The doctor comes in. I can literally only move my eyeballs. So I'm in the ICU for 10 days in isolation. I make a definitive decision that no matter what happens, I am never once going to complain. I know there are people that are in the ICU and other rooms that are not coming out. I make a decision that if I want to come out of here and see my two boys, I am never going to complain because I know that I'm going to, I know in my heart, I'm going to do everything I can to make it out of it. I surround my environment with music that inspires me. For me, that's Bob Marley. Ziggy Marley's one of my clients for 20 years. I start, I don't care what anybody thinks. I am starting to play Bob Marley 24 mm. seven. I love hospital workers. I love doctors. I love all our rescuers, but they are underserved in the hospital. The food is a joke. They serve food from the cafeteria that has no nourishment. It's French fries, hamburgers, chicken fingers. My wife, God bless her soul, she goes home. She starts pureeing me organic food. I can't swallow, so now I have to eat pureed food. So she's bringing me pureed food. So now I have my nutrition. I'm going to have it as best as possible, KB. I have my environment with the music, and now I am meditating. It may be mumbo-jumbo. I don't care. The doctors, I am not taking away anything they did. They did their, their met, they put me on different medications, IVIG. They, they hooked me up to transfuse my blood. I know it helped, but I start meditating and I start visualizing myself repairing my body. Mm. I start praying to my body, start healing itself. I start asking my body to heal itself. And then I start demanding this. So I have everything I can in my control that I can possibly control to be positive. Mm. And I start regaining after five days, I start regaining. There's a whole plethora of stuff that happened. I soil myself. I can no longer bring myself to the bathroom. I soil myself in the bathroom. They have to put a catheter in me. I go to battery of tests. I go through hour long MRIs and CT scans. I code out in the hospital where I faint. I try to, they try to get me into a CT scan, and I faint, I go unconscious, I urinate all over myself, and my wife is in the hospital, she knows, they just took me from the room, they know that I'm coding out, but never once, my friend, did I go, woe is me, I did not want to put myself in that space, I did not, I, as they were taking me to different tests, I saw people that were in worse conditions that I, I could still think, I could still see, I still had cognitive ability, And I said, whatever I have, I'm going to be grateful for. And I'm not going to say this is happening to me. This is happening for me. This is happening for some reason. I don't know what it is at this moment, but I have to trust and have faith that something great is going to come from this if I'm willing to stay with it. 
So after 10 days, I start regaining function. I leave that hospital in a wheelchair. I leave that hospital from the wheelchair. I start doing physical therapy the next day from the hospital. I see a physical therapist five days a week, and I do another two on my own. And at the beginning, I have to go from a wheelchair, just standing up, moving my toes, moving my hands to a walker. I graduate to a walker and I can't even squat down. I can't even, don't even have the strength to do that. But I continually do whatever I can, moving my toes, moving my fingers, standing up. Now I can squat a little. I fell down. Okay, I'm going to get back up. I'm going to make it to the couch. My wife is sleeping. She doesn't want me going around the house. I go around. I'm doing laps with a walker. So I graduate from the wheelchair to a walker, to a cane. And with three months, I get just about all functionality back in my body. I still don't feel my feet right now. Like my toes are still numb, but if they remain numb for the rest of my life, I don't care. And I get back to full functionality. And through this, I was out of work for three months rehabbing. I said, how do I do something to inspire people? How do I take this thing that I could look at as a tragedy and turn it around? Remember, I have dyslexia. I, I spell so bad that when I type something, spell check goes, I don't have a fucking clue. What <laughs> Relatable. No suggestions. <laughs> so listen how crazy this is. I'm listening to an audio book of someone I knew in the jujitsu world that wrote a book and I go, man, how good would it be to do a book? I contact him and he puts me onto the guy that edited his book. I call him and I started writing stuff down and I call him and I said, look it, I got this story. I have, I've been a trainer around the world. I started off, I went to jail. I have all these things. I started compiling this stuff. I'm, I'm laid up for three months. I, I, my physicality has gone, I can't work. I want to do this book. So he says, send me some of what you wrote. I sent him some of it. He calls me immediately. He says, send me some of something else that you wrote. I've said, he goes, look it. I just got done writing a book. I didn't want to do this again. I'm so exhausted, but I'm compelled by your story. I said, he asked me what I want to do. I said, I want to inspire people. I want them to know that anything's possible. I want them to be, if they're in a tough situation, to know that they can get out of it. And we write this book. I have dyslexia. We do an audio book. We put it out. And the damn thing goes to number one as a new release on Amazon. My friends, please, if you stuck with us this long, please understand. If I can do that, you can do 10 times more. You can do whatever the hell you want to do. It wasn't easy. There was no magic wand. There is no magic wand. You're going to have to go through some shit. But if you want to do it, you can. Please believe that. And mm. so that's what happened to me. That was a Gee, long story. But that's insane. And it's such an interesting story. I'm, I'm sorry you had to go through that. But when you said like this, in that moment, this is happening to me. This isn't happening to me. This is happening for me. Do you think that it was the trigger to get you to write this book? to inspire so many more people. Is that what you meant by happening for you? Yes. If it didn't happen, if I was fine and I was working 12 hours a day, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to do this. I wouldn't mm -hmm. be able to sit down with myself and go, okay, I had all these things that were all these different challenges. How can I get them to help other people? I had shame connected to going, getting arrested and going to jail. I had shame connected to these other things. I had shame next to the failures. I said, that. How do I be truthful to myself at this age, at 50 years old, compile this, not for myself out of ego, but to help other people? So it had to happen for me. If it didn't happen, I would never had this. I couldn't have done it. Yeah, for sure. And, and I love the way that you were speaking about you being in the hospital bed and not being able to move. Like it was the perfect blend of like Western medicine that's very reactive and then preventative medicine like I do view movement and nutrition as preventative medicine that's yes. the, my my point of view but even you know lying down and meditating and surrounding yourself by an environment that was giving you kind of that high vibrational energy it reminds me of um Joe Dispenza I'm not sure if you're familiar with him yes. and his story yeah he got in that accident and they were like you're going to be in a wheelchair for the rest of your life and he was like all right I know what I can control and started healing his cells and became one of those quote unquote miracles 
that could walk right. from having, I think it was a broken spine. I, I may be mis, mis, um, miscommunicating there, but it was something that was crazy. And, and you were able to a, like be thankful for all the reactive medicine you were receiving, which would have helped for sure. Like, I certainly don't think that people should stay at home and not receive urgent care, right. <laughs> but, no, but also usually, that. yeah, but also using what you knew. Right. Yeah. That's right. Amazing. I could have been in there and had a pity party. And that wouldn't yeah. serve me at all. Right. Exactly. And it comes back to what you spoke about at the start of total accountability and taking accountability for where you were right now to really move towards where you wanted to go. Yeah. And, you know, it's you don't understand what you're doing right now. Sometimes the ripple effect of where it's going to go. Who's going to mm-hmm. see this? Right. Maybe a year from now, maybe five, whatever. But because of this, people have read my book and I just I'm going tomorrow. I'm going tomorrow. A neighbor read my book and said, oh, my God, I had someone that just came down with GBS and he's in the hospital and he doesn't know what to do. Would you talk to him? So he just got out of the hospital and I'm going I'm donating time. I'm going to his house. He's like, please, can you show me what you did when you got out? I had someone call me from Cleveland and said, I read your book and I have GBS. I'm in the hospital, 72 year old lady. So I get on the phone. If I don't write, if I don't take the, the initiative to do that. Those connections never happen. Mm. So if you're listening to this, what is the one thing? I don't want to get. Like you just say, I love you. Someone. Right. You just take a time to listen to them. You don't know where that's going to go. It could affect so many people so far down the line. Yeah. yeah, so so right. And it comes to that that common thread of celebrity or school teacher. We all just want to be loved. We want to feel that connection. And, you know, you going through something so intense, you have this ability to help people, A, in that very specific way through GP, GBS and, and helping them and hopefully they survive through it or in a more general way of what you were saying before. Like if you can write that book, you can, you know, you can do 10 times more. And it's really admirable how you're helping people, John. Thank you. As for you, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't you were on the other end, right? And we're going to help loads of people, whether it's now or in a year's time. Right, I love that. It's just a little nugget. Um, We do have a final question on this podcast and we're going to fast forward a couple of decades. That final question is your 70-year-old self. What would 70-year-old John Petrelli say to you right now? Thank you. Thank you for... being willing to change. Thank you for being open to trying new things. Thank you for exposing yourself Mm. and being vulnerable. And we need people like you who are being vulnerable and exposing yourself to connect others, even if it's them connecting with themselves more. So I think 70-year-old John has plenty of wisdom. Thank you. I've had so many goosebumps during this podcast and I feel like I've personally learned so much from you and I'm I'm really excited to to share this conversation with others. Where can people find you? Where can we get to know more about you? Where, you know, most importantly, where can we buy your book? We want to learn more about your book. Wonderful. Um, you can see me on Instagram at john.petrelli. Um, same on uh, Facebook, John Petrelli. You can go to johnpetrelli.com. The book is Confessions of a Hollywood Trainer. It's on Amazon. It's on my website. It's on Kindle. It's on Audible. Um, Look, I want to put this out there. Um, I'm such a crybaby. It's so important, Um, though. Usually I'm the one in tears. Oh, thank God for your strength. I want to put this out there. If you're listening to this and you happen to be in the field that's a rescuer, whether it's a doctor, a nurse, a fireman, a police officer, I I donate a certain amount of my time every year. And I feel like we need to help the people that help us in our time of most need. We see an ambulance go by and sometime in the past, I would think that's an inconvenience for me 
because I have to pull over, right? But there's somebody in the worst dire time of their life could be in that ambulance. We rely on the people that help us. I want to donate time, whether it's like a podcast or physically going there or setting up a, a fitness thing for them or nutritional, because we need to take care of the people that take care of us when we need that care. And so I don't think those people are being taken care of. So I want to put one final thing out there. Contact us. If they contact you, give them my information. I want to donate time to do that. It fills my life. It fills my soul. And you can get in touch with me at all those places, and I will get back to you. And so if that's the final thing we can put on the podcast, I would love that. I love that offer as well. I have... So I've got a cousin who's a firefighter, an aunt who's a hospice nurse, and then, you know, my cousin is also a nurse. And the amount of energy and dedication, like getting us together at Christmas is impossible. Like, you know, or Thanksgiving, like there's always at least one person working or they'll be at Thanksgiving until 7 p.m. They need to go the night shift. And I'm thinking of one family member in specifically and the amount it drains them but they know it's their calling and they know that they need to help people in this way because it's what they were put on this earth to do so they 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 do dedicate such time and energy to to their trade yeah and we need them right we need them to be filled for sure No, I've really enjoyed having you on the podcast, John. Thank you so much for joining and yeah, personally learned so much from you. Oh, thank you so much for the opportunity. I'm very blessed to be able to spend this time with you. Thank you so much. Um, Thank you. Thanks so much. And for everyone else listening to the podcast, whether you're in the car, cleaning the house, whatever you're doing today, eat well, move well, breathe well. And until next time, keep shining.